Good morning everyone. Excellent. If you're thinking or you've signed up for Exploring Membership, please do not come here. It is not in this building. So uh, if you go to the information desk, they will tell you um, where you'll be meeting. Um, but like I say, please do not come here. Um, it's not here. Also, if you are um, part of the church, um, but you've not yet found a community group to be part of, you will be getting a phone call. And it's just to warn you that I've asked the pastoral deacons to give everyone a call who's not yet in a community group to see if we can help you find a place for you to be and do community group life in a smaller setting. So if someone rings you up and you don't know who they are but they say they're they're a pastoral deacon, please be polite and friendly. They're only doing what I've asked them to do. So that is great. My name is Paul, Um, as Santino said, I'm one of the pastors here of the church and uh, it's my privilege to be speaking to you today. Um, I'm going to be team preaching with Ali, that's why he's on the stage, he's not just stalking me and uh, following me around and so after about 15 minutes Ali will be coming and uh, sharing some thoughts as well. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ezra chapter 2, in a few moments we'll be looking at that. If you haven't got your Bible, don't worry, the words will flick up. Um, on the screen behind me in a few moments' time. To warn you, this is probably one of the most uh, challenging areas to preach about because I'm going to be speaking about money this morning. And there probably isn't anything that's closer to a man's heart than his wallet. And so this morning I'll be looking at that. I've I've spent a lot of time praying that I will not offend you, but the word of God might. And I have prayed that if, if necessary, this will agitate, it will get under your skin, and it will cause you to come back to God and question what you're doing with your money, where it's going. Because I think if you want to know where what your heart is attached to, one of the best ways of finding out is to look where your money goes. So if you want to know what your heart is attached to, one of the best ways of finding out is it's, it's not, not to ask someone or to spend time thinking about it. Let me invite you to look at your bank statements and see where your money goes. That is a good reflection of what your heart is attached to. Now, over the last few times that I've preached, I've been looking at this whole series that it's time to prepare. And I've been um, uh, laying out um, the whole sense we've got as a church that it's time for us to take the next step with this building. It's time for us to invest again into this building for a couple of reasons. The first one is the practical need that we face week by week. Last Sunday it was great, it wasn't a particularly big Sunday, but we had 29 under fives in the Wrigglers room. It was absolutely packed. Loads of them were visitors, and because when visitors come, mum and dads want to go in with under fives as well, just to check they're all right and to check they're settled. When you add the Wrigglers team on top and the, uh, the teens team as well, I understand that the room was rather heaving, it was quite challenging, and as I've said before, I thank God that I wasn't in there myself. We, we just need more space for our kids. We need more space that will enable us to grow, but it will also enable us to offer greater flexibility on what we can put on. At the moment, from 0 to 11s, we just have two groups. They do absolutely brilliantly, 
but we need to multiply that out. We need to be able to target more at particular age groups and offer things that will particularly work for them. And it will also mean that the kids have that opportunity to progress through. They, they get to develop and to go through. They, they, they start off and if you can imagine in Wrigley's you've got babies there that can't walk and then you've got four-year-olds or nearly four-year-olds like my son running around probably with something that looks a bit like a lightsaber. So you've got all, it's such wide variance there that it's important we're able to uh, multiply those groups out. I think also not only is there a need, there's also great opportunity for us to use this building to reach more people. And I think at the moment it's great what we've been able to do so far. I know we've already experienced a great benefit from just building a wall and that's really blessed and helped us on a Sunday morning but there, there is much more we could use this building for. And let, let me encourage you just to have a walk round. If it's not raining too hard when we leave, have a look at the backfield, which we rarely use. And there's so much more we can do with this as we look to reach out and as we look to bless the church as well. And so we've been looking at this. We've been looking at this as a big faith step for us. It will cost a lot of money. And the only way we're going to be able to do it is through the sacrificial giving of this church. And so I felt it was necessary, as we've got four preachers in this series, that one of them was focused on money, which I know will be um, challenging. I know whenever I sit and I listen to preach on money, I sort of groan inwardly when I hear, um, oh no, because I know it's going to be painful. Every time we approach a gift day, there's that sort of stab of pain. Oh, I've only just paid off the last gift day, the last pledge I made. There's another one coming. Or as God stirs me to say, actually, Paul, I think you could go again. You're giving this much regularly, but actually, come on, it's time for you guys to go again. So it's always always a painful subject for me. You guys might might be a lot more sanctified than me. It might be a piece of cake for you. There might be no challenge in it. But I know for myself, I always find this a very, very challenging subject. Lord, I ask you that as myself and Ali preached this morning, I pray you'd anoint us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray we'd keep in step with you. Lord, I pray we would not go beyond what your Spirit would want us to do. I pray we'd remain faithful to your truth, to your word. Lord, I ask you for open and receptive hearts. Just ready to respond to how you prompt and how your word directs. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. So Ezra chapter 2. Starting at verse 64, we're only looking at five verses. And just to give you a flavour, I'm going to speak for about 10 minutes out of Ezra. Um, Ali's then going to come and preach for about 15 minutes. He's going to do a bit of an MOT on you. And then I'm going to come back at the end and uh, look to apply it. The whole company numbered 42,360. Besides their, no, their 7,337 men, servants and maidservants. They also had 200 men and women singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels and 6,720 donkeys. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave a free will offering towards the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work. 
61,000 drachmas of gold, 5,000 miners of silver and 100 priestly garments. Over the last few weeks I've been basing my preaches in the book of Ezra. I felt there was sort of prophetic significance for us and the phase we're in at the moment. And this particular aspect talks about when the exiles return from Babylon to Jerusalem. It's about a 600 mile journey. And the first thing I notice, I particularly like these verses, is there's lots of numbers in it. Have you noticed that? And if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, lots of numbers appear. They talk about how many people return. They talked about how many servants return. They even talk about how many singers go back. And I, I must admit, I'm quite blessed to know that the singers and the musicians were identified as a separate, odd part of God's creation that I personally cannot understand and clearly the writer could not understand those creative types um, either. They're, they're even identified separately down to the number of donkeys that got back and arrived in Jerusalem. And it's, it's interesting to note that they list these things out. We're quite interested as well in what happens as far as um, how much money is given or how many people attend on a Sunday. And it's not so much because we're just caught up in the numbers, but as we understand what's happening with the numbers, it helps us make good decisions for the future. And sometimes we, we talk about numbers and we talk about different things going on, and it's, it's not anything to do with ego or anything like that. It's just that it helps us to plan well for the future. It helps us to try and have an understanding of what is going on in the church. You see, when you're 20 or 30, you can know individuals. You know exactly maybe what's going on in people's lives. You don't need to know the detail of those sorts of things. But as you grow bigger and bigger, it's, some of those things can be helpful as you're looking for, for what God is doing. And as we move into um, verse 68, it says, When they arrived back, at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, which was actually just a pile of ruins, it says some of the heads of families gave a free will offering towards rebuilding the house of God. And if you read the Bible a lot, what you'll notice is whenever God wants something to be done, it's often God's people, nine times out of ten, it's God's people who provide financially for it to happen. So whether it was building the tabernacle in the desert, there was a free will offering. Moses instructed the people and they brought gold and silver and wood and bits of purple cloth and yarn and all sorts of things for the rebuilding of the tabernacle. Here we find the same thing. The temple needed to be rebuilt and so the people gave a in equivalent money, it's about £16 million, was given for rebuilding the temple. We find that in the New Testament, when there was need among the early church, who was it that provided? Was it an angel that turned up with a pot of gold? Was it a leprechaun turned up at the end of the rainbow, there's a pot of gold there? No, actually it was, it was the believers who gave generously. They sold fields or property as was required to provide for those that were in need. And, and as best as I can tell when I've read the Bible, whenever anything is needed doing, it is God who stirs the heart of his people to give generously. Now we also find that it's God who gives his people the resources that enable them to give generously in the first place. If you go back to um, Ezra chapter 1, you'll find that before the Israelites left Babylon to go to Jerusalem, what happened? Their neighbours gave them gold, silver and valuable goods to send them on their way. Before the Israelites um, left Egypt, what happened? 
The Egyptians gave gold and silver and valuable things as they were sent out of Egypt into the desert. And so often we find that is the case as well. God will stir and challenge us to give, but God will also abundantly provide for us as required. It's still a sacrifice? Does it still hurt? Oh yes it does. But God provides what we need. So we see that in Ezra chapter 1 verse 6 that God abundantly provides. Now the next thing you'll notice here is that it's a free will offering. And I looked up to find what on earth is a free will offering. And this is what I, I, I found out. It is one who offers spontaneously and with a willing mind, is not sparing but gives with a large hand. Now it's sort of old English I'm guessing. When it says gives with a large hand, I guess what it means is they give really generously. And so, so what we find here was it was a free will offering. It was spontaneous. They got back from Babylon into Jerusalem. Some of the family heads were moved and spontaneously they give um, a big, a liberal gift to see the temple rebuilt. You'll notice as well another phrase in there that they gave according to their ability. So I'm guessing those who, who were, to put it in modern, modern phrase, were loaded gave lots of money. But those maybe who'd spent nearly everything they had getting from Babylon back to Jerusalem, well, they they just gave in proportion to what God had given to them. But it was a free will offering. It was an overflow of God's gracious compassion on them. Just as we've been singing about God's goodness. It was just an overflow. Oh God, you've given so much to me. Oh, it's my privilege to give something back to you. And as we uh, took the offering this morning, that is as much worship to God as raising our hands, closing our eyes and singing out with our voices, oh God, how I love you. It's both worship. One just gets you in a slightly different place. Now, this free will offering thing, is that the only way they gave in the Old Testament? Do you reckon it's the only way they gave in the Old Testament? No, it wasn't. I want to just spend a couple of minutes before Ali speaks talking about something that is nearly a swear word in church today and it's called tithing. In Genesis chapter 14, in Numbers chapter 18, In Deuteronomy chapter 14 and Leviticus 27, the Bible talks about God's people tithing. This is what it says in Leviticus 27. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. The entire tithe from herd or flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So when it talks about these things being holy to the Lord, it's not that they're sinless, it means that they're set apart for God. So if you have a flock, if you're a shepherd and you have sheep and you have ten sheep that are born to you in a given year, one of those sheep, one of those sheep's, I'm talking like my boys now. One of those sheep belongs to God. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You belong to God. And it's the same with, with if you own an orchard and you've got apple trees. 
You're filling up your basket with apples. Basket one, basket two, basket three, basket four, basket five. You get the gist. Basket ten belongs to God. Whether it's cattle, whether it's grain that grows from the field, one out of every ten, it's, it's God's. It's God's. You're to give it to him. And they were to give it to the Levites. So there were lots of tribes in Israel, but there was one tribe called the Levites and the tithe was to be given to them so that they could minister before God on behalf of the people. They were released to do it. They didn't have to quite work in the same way as everyone else. They were released to minister. Now they tithed as well. They tithed to the priests who worked in the temple. And so we find that this principle existed right the way back, right the way back in Genesis, this whole principle of a tithe. One out of every ten belongs to God. Whether sheep, cattle, goats, fruit, vegetables, whatever it was, if you are a cabbage grower, 10% of your cabbages, they belong to God. They gave from their labour, their land or property. Whatever was produced and that was the starting point. So the free will offering was on top of that. That wasn't instead of the tithe. They didn't cancel their tithe. It wasn't a standing order of sheep. Every, every sort of a ten that are born automatically, one gets taken away. Oh, I cancel my standing order for a month because we've got a free will offering coming up. No, that was on top of what they were giving to God anyway. It was a statement of faith. As they gave to God, it was a statement of faith. They were saying, I believe that the 90% that I am left with will do me more good than the 100% if I kept it all for myself. It's a statement of faith. Although I'm giving 10% away, I'm going to be worse off. I believe, God, your blessing will overflow in spite of that. It's a statement of faith. It's an action of faith. It's not just a belief. It's an action where you put your faith into action. It's also a statement of obedience. Lord, I'm just doing what you've asked me to do. It's not an intellectual faith. I'm, I'm being obedient. You've told me to do it. I, I choose you over possessions. You've got first place in my heart. Not just the good stuff you give to me. It all belongs to you anyway. You've got first place in my heart. It's a statement of worship. I love you more than the possessions you have blessed me with. I love you more. I love you more. And I know, I know this is challenging stuff. And you'll notice, and I'd encourage you, read any of those verses. Look up, look up tithe in your concordance. Look at the verses at home. There don't seem to be any caveats. So, so, so the rich weren't let off because, I, I'm so rich. Do you know, look, I, I, I have 30,000, 30, no, I have 3,000 lambs born to me every year. You, you, can't really, you can't really expect me to give 300. That, that's a lot, 300 lambs. No, 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 no. I'm too rich to tithe. So I'll give generously, but I won't give the full quota of 300. I'll give 50, because that's more than pretty much everyone else here anyway. So I couldn't possibly tithe. I'm far too rich. Doesn't say that in the Bible. Doesn't say, I can't possibly tithe. I'm too poor. Doesn't mention that either in the Bible. 
I, I couldn't possibly tithe because I wouldn't be happy. You know, it does say in the New Testament, God loves a cheerful giver. If I give my money away, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Let me recommend you seek God. You need to change your heart. You need to change your heart. If you're not giving financially, if you're not blessing God with your money, you need to. You need to get your heart in line. God loves a cheerful giver. It's not an excuse not to give. It should be an overflowing expression of the grace of God in your life. I imagine, because I would be just in your situation, if I hadn't prepared it and prepared my soul, I'd be just where you are now, thinking there's lots of little doubts or questions, there's reasons why you couldn't possibly give generously. They're popping in your head right now, because they pop into mine. And if one doesn't work, another one will probably pop in straight after it. In Malachi 3, It's a prophetic word to uh, Israel. And they were experiencing drought and pestilence. Their crops weren't growing well. There wasn't enough rain. Um, When the crops did grow, um, insects were eating them. They were not getting a good harvest. But Malachi comes and says, why are you not giving to God what is God's? Why are you holding back from him? What is his? Now maybe the reason they were holding back was because the crops weren't, weren't good this, this season. But actually if you read Malachi, what God says is, the reason the crops aren't good is because you are not giving to me what I am owed. If you read it, you'll find the reason is, why is there pestilence, why is there drought? Because you're not giving to God what is God's. It's very challenging, very challenging stuff. Let me just quickly finish because I'm uh, cutting uh, Ali a bit tight here. And he'll cut me even tighter at the end. So. But let, let me just turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21 verses 1 to 4. I know this is an extremely, extremely challenging subject but I want to just give you an example of a real giant in this area. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I'll tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Why did that widow do it? Because she was caught up with God. She was captivated by a compassionate God. If she'd come to me and asked, should I do it, I'd probably have told her no. You need to eat. But she was moved. She gave all she had. It wasn't under compulsion. She probably didn't realise anyone was looking. She was doing it with an audience of one. I'm doing it before my God. 
when I give my time, whenever I give my money, whenever I give my service, I'm doing it before God. So elders in the church, I, I, I don't know what people give and I'm very happy not knowing. It's, it's between you and God. But as we look, and as Ali in a second, he's going to look to apply some of this that I've been saying. As we, as we look at this, it's, it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of, of your walk with God. And on that note, I will hand over to Alid to take it from there. Okay. You with me? We still awake? Okay. Um, Paul's asked me to spend 15 minutes, which is now probably about 8 or 9 minutes, to talk about New Testament principles of giving. And uh, I know we've been looking at the Old Testament and what uh, the Old Testament tithe and different free will offerings, but actually it appears to me, looking at the Bible, that the New Testament is quite different. And actually, within the New Testament, it seems that more than ever before, God is focused on one thing, and that's the heart. More than anything else, God is looking at the heart. And I've been learning slowly, and I, I'm really not kind of um, in any way uh, made up with this. It, I, I'm learning this. I find giving really difficult, and I can relate to what Paul was saying when actually... I've, I've left meetings like this, actually, with, with an overwhelming sense of guilt sometimes because I feel I'm not giving enough. Sometimes I've left actually with an argument with God, thinking, well, God, you know why I can't give that amount of money because I'm, I'm saving up for a house deposit or I'm saving up for a holiday. That's, that's my, my I've had those struggles as well. But actually, where I've, what I feel is that God says, well, what's the state of your heart? And I feel that that's the focus. I'm slowly learning that God doesn't simply desire my money. He is desperate for my heart. He is desperate for it more than anything else. He even died for it. He's died for my heart. And that's what he wants above everything else. And it's not a new thing either in the Old Testament where it says, you'll have no other God before me in Exodus. And money can be a God, guys. Money can be an idol in your life where actually you put gifts before giver. And later on in the New Testament it says, love your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and all your strength. Matthew 22:37. Love your God with all your heart. Are you getting the message? God desires our hearts. And when we look at giving, if we miss the point, actually what we're looking at is the practicalities and what we give, the amount or the percentage. We've missed the point. God is saying, I desire the heart. That's what he's looking for this morning. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And whether you're a faithful Christian of 20 years or 20 days, the question is, what is the state of your heart? Whether you're someone who is uh, really on fire for God or or you feel that you're such a diluted Christian because you're still struggling with the same sins and temptations that you did five years ago or ten years ago, the question is the same. What is the state of your heart? What is the state of your heart? And whether you are rich here this morning or whether you feel that you are in poverty, the question is the same. What is the state of your heart? And that is what God is saying to us this morning. Where do you place your value? What treasures are you storing up? What image are you seeking to uphold? Because you know, God is only interested in one image and that is Christ in your life. That's the only one that God is interested in. You know, opportunities to give 
gives, presents great opportunities to do a bit of an MOT and a service on our hearts. And just over these next eight or nine minutes as we cover some principles on New Testament giving, that's exactly what we're going to do. So if we pop the slide up, here's our MOT certificate here, and we're going to very briefly, with time, hopefully, look at who do we give to, where do we give, what, why, and when, okay? Can I just say, before we move on, this has got to be spoken and received in grace. Okay, we are living in a New Testament and I don't want anyone to leave this place, anyone to leave this place feeling condemned in any way. But I also don't want anyone to leave this place feeling that they haven't been challenged by what God has to say to us. We've got to be challenged by this and I pray that God will do that this morning. Okay, so the first one, moving quickly on, who do we give to? Who do we give to? Well, living in the New Covenant, it would be foolish for us to talk about giving and not relate it to the giver. We give to someone who is so generous. And and Paul's already mentioned, we give to someone actually who has already given everything. We we give to someone who understands what it is to give sacrificially. Actually, ultimately, more than what we will ever experience, actually. We give to a God who has given everything. And I think until we come to an understanding of the gospel and the cost on God when it came to giving sacrificially for us, I don't think we'll ever fully understand what it is when God says, pick up your cross and follow me. We've got to understand the cost and it is painful. And I think it's quite apt that, that we've, we've labelled this preach, God provides, we give. Because that's the order. And I think one of the faults maybe of the prosperity gospel, and I don't want to dwell on this too much, and they've got part of it right because they say that where you sow little, you reap little. And that's biblical, that's in Matthew. But actually, sometimes what they forget is everything that I can give, everything that I have given, and everything that I will be able to give actually comes from the hand of God in the first place. He is so generous. So, so generous. So let's not forget that God is a God who provides God is a God who actually knows what, it's, what it is that he's asking. He's asking us to give in a generous way, in a sacrificial way. And I know sometimes for me it's difficult when I get my bank statement through and it says King's Church Hastings and I can sometimes so easily forget that what I'm giving to is a God who is so generous. And in many ways it would be so much easier if God had a bank account that I could just wire money to. But that's not the way that God has designed it. It's not the way that God has designed it. We haven't designed it this way. King's Church Hastings hasn't designed it this way. God has designed it different. Second point, where do we give? God has designed that we give within a context of a local church. That's the way that God has designed it. And if you, if you call this place home, if you feel that your pastor's here and you get your spiritual guidance here, this is home, this is the source, this is where your money should be going. And can I just say very briefly on charities... Charitable giving is great. And I I wouldn't say that you shouldn't do it in any way. Me and Lou have given to charities in the past. Um, Most of my charitable giving seems to be going to the Shipley these days. Um, But the charities, charitable giving is fantastic. But let me tell you what God is in the business of doing. This is God's plan. This is God's design. God is in the business of saving dirty, rotten sinners. That's what God specialises in. He's a crack team. He is the A-team. He is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three musketeers, the three amigos, whatever you want to call them, that's what they specialise in, taking people who are so far from God and bringing them close to himself. That's what he does. 
He's in the business of building a dwelling place with those stones, with those parts of the body. We are now parts of a body with Christ as the head and he builds us together. And why? So he can pour his spirit of love and grace and comfort into it. And that's what he does. He's in the business of providing all the necessary resources to those children who steadfastly follow him and his direction and his ways. That's the way that God has designed it. And you know, God, there's, there's no plan B here, guys. We are it. It makes me laugh sometimes. I think, God, we are the hope for Hastings. We are the... King's Church Hastings and the other Bible-believing churches in the area are the only, only hope for Hastings. That's the way that God has designed it. That's the way that God has designed it. And some of us maybe, I don't know, just as a provocation, some of us need to wake up and we need to realise that no one else is going to come and take responsibility for you being salt and light in your workplace and in your family home. You are it. There's no plan B, guys. We are it. Where do we give? We give within a context of a local church. What should we give? And this is probably the question that all of us are hoping that there's one answer to. And there is an answer, actually, and Paul's already touched on it, out of the generosity of your heart. It's not like the Old Testament where we have a tithe, a certain percentage or a certain amount of money. God's, God's looking at the heart and we give out the generosity and the overflowing of what God has blessed us with. Can we just very quickly turn to Acts chapter 4, please, just to contextualise what I'm saying is talking about the early church and in Acts 4 verses um, Acts, Acts chapter 4 verses 32 it says all the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own but they shared everything they had Brian I like your house Scott so you have a nice car There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And that is not an example of stingy giving. That is not an example of someone who is reluctant to give above an old covenant tithe. That is generous giving. Generous giving. I was talking to um, Kevin the other day about this... um, large amounts of money and generous giving and he was really helpful and I, I looked up Bill Gates and this foundation he started up a modestly named Bill Gates foundation and, uh, but when he started it up and let me ask you a question in fact in a minute I'll ask you to raise your hands Bill Gates opened this foundation it was a phenomenal amount of money 94 million dollars 94 million dollars in fact can I ask you if you think that is a generous amount of money can you just put your hand up 94 million dollars I can't even comprehend that amount of money I really can't it seems like a generous amount of money let me tell you that is between 1 or 2 percent of his annual income let me tell you is that generous giving guys let's not be fooled between large amounts of money and generous amounts of money because I know what God looks at, he looks at the heart. And that lady at the, uh, at the synagogue who only has three copper coins, how desperate would it be for her to say, God doesn't look on my offering because it's not $49 million. He says, I love that because she's got a heart of generosity. And that's what God is looking for us. And as we move into this season with the building work, what God is looking at is not necessarily the amount of capital, it's the heart in which we say, Lord, we faithfully serve you in your ventures and your plans for this town. And we're in. And that's what we need to do. 
In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul's talking about uh, the Macedonian churches and he says this, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were 